Dude, I'm, by the way, I'm just, I'm enjoying every new nugget I find out about high school Kevin, including, <laughs> including, if we can talk about, the goddamn amazing <laughs> Waka cosplay yep. yeah. that you dropped on Twitter uh, in the last week or so. I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot. I'll never forget that now. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen your belly button. I'll yep. never forget. Yep. That's probably like the least hairy my belly has ever been. I didn't like shave it or anything for Waka. Um, Dude, my, 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 my belly's been hairy my whole life. <laughs> Dude, I, I was like, I definitely had to shave for that picture because I had like, I had like a chin strap for most of high school. So awesome. I probably, awesome. Had, I probably had to, I probably had to shave the old honest Abe for, for Waka. But yeah. Um, so if I remember. I, de- I think I was 15. Um, I was going to Anime Boston, my first con. Mm-hmm. And I was going with a group of friends who cosplayed Yuna and Riku. And awesome. it was uh, an amazing time. I think Naruto was just coming out and there were like <laughs> Naruto costumes everywhere. Uh, oh. And um, I I got glomped. Sorry, wait. Glump. I'm. I'm, my con knowledge has waned. It's been a while. Glumped okay. is it, in the in the early two thousands. Getting glumped was like a thing. It, it was like uh, a, getting a flying hug from someone, usually a stranger. Right. Yes, <laughs> we've changed how we feel about randomly hugging people, but that was a big con thing. Yeah, yeah. If you were very online <laughs> in the early two thousands, <laughs> like if you like typed something in the forum and your friends were there, they'd like glomp you. Ha <laughs> ha. It's like ah uh-huh. It's uh, it was a cute online thing to do before we developed personal space. <laughs> before we developed personal space, and before weird weird dudes realized that they could use free hug signs as a way to be creepy to <laughs> Yeah, free hugs was uh, was a thing. Um, I, I, it started innocent. I think uh, early 2011, I saw my first free shrugs sign, which was a sign. <laughs> I would actually like that. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. It was, just, it was just someone with the signs of free shrugs and they'd like shrug in a picture with you. And it was great. Um, the anime convention was in a mall and we had to go into the mall to get food. So the, the, the food court was just packed with cosplayers <laughs> and a British woman. I'll never forget this for my entire life. I was dressed up as Waka from Final Fantasy X and mm-hmm. I was eating Panda Express and a, oh my god! And an old British woman came up to me, <laughs> and she sort of like like crouched down to like whisper something to me because she didn't want to be too weird about it. But she said, "What's with all the fancy dress?" <laughs> <laughs> and she could trust you to tell her. <laughs> I I was I guess I was the most approachable, trustworthy person there. Also, people just yeah. tell me things. Uh, that's my superpower. Is people just want to tell I me cannot. things? Yeah. Also, by the way, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go to our Twitter at Goosebuds Pod. We retweeted it. <laughs> yep, uh, it'll be yep. done. You, if you see how Kevin, Kevin, you have a you have a strong mm-hmm. but subtle confidence yes. in that picture, I would approach you and ask you for guidance. I think I think that was. Uh, where I started saying yes to life as a teenager. <laughs> like I, as a middle schooler, I was said I said no to life quite a bit. So what did you say to the lady? I was like, "Oh, well, it's um it's like a 
it's like a, a festival, I guess. It's, um, okay, so we all like cartoons, <laughs> but they're from, um, they're from Japan. They're um, from the except, far off land of Japan. Except I'm not dressed up as a cartoon, I'm dressed up from a video game. Okay, a video game, oh, I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> she was, she was so sweet and so nice. And I, like, she kept like, smiling and like nodding nervously like she was trying to get it she was just like well she was like well you all look amazing (laughs) oh that's really sweet that's really nice (laughs) she went and got a pretzel or something but yeah she was super sweet i'll never forget her um (laughs) but i i I remember thinking in that con like i don't have to explain myself to anyone like people are literally waving at me and saying (laughs) hey waka and i'm like what like that was that was the rush of cosplaying back in the day. To- it- yeah, dude. I get, I I never actually You never cosplayed? Played. No, I I'll, I'll be honest, I, you know, I'm jealous of everyone who does. Um partly because whenever I'm at cons, like I think 90% of them have been always been for work, right? I'd be like I'd make right, studios and, right. and I'm having to go do something for some evil YouTuber. Um <laughs> but but also the times when I did go I, I'll, I'll share my deepest my deepest secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just I just kind of knew that like any cosplay would result in me just being a sweaty boy. <laughs> like I like even even Waka, for example, Kevin. I think you're rocking it. Very breezy. Very breezy. Yeah. I think about I think about a Waka. I think even a Waka. <laughs> I'm just going to end up just being like by an hour into it, I'm walking through the con, and I'm just damp everywhere. And people are avoiding me, and someone and someone goes like, "Ew, why is he so wet?" And then that's my nightmare. That's my nightmare, Kevin. All right, we can we can plan around this. Um, we <laughs> I, feel, I feel like there are two ways to go from here. Uh, sure, we could go even more scantily clad than Waka. Um, yeah, or we could we could do like the Adam Savage thing and put you in a Totoro costume and see how that goes. Okay, sure, I could do. See, I could do a Totoro if I was able to do a like. A full AC cooling rig on the inside. Yeah. Like, not just fans. Like, I want it pumping cold ice water through. Yeah. I want, like, a little mister going. Like, I want to be cooler in that in that Totoro than the normal temperature of the room. That's the only way I can do it. You know those, like, a liquid cooling things you get for, like, uh, high-end computers or whatever? Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. We could, we could strap you up with those, and you'll have just an, uh, a nice breezy chill i I, yeah i need that i need a bunch of camelbacks you know camelbacks (laughs) those things runners have yep they're like they're like water packs that you strap to your back so while you're running you can just take a sip from a straw yeah like i want i want a bunch of those hooked up on on totoro's butt and then i have like a pit crew that every 15 to 20 minutes i can swing by and they are pouring in new cold ice water Mm mm-hmm for me to get to to lower the temperature even further. This is a big operation though, Kevin. That's okay. what's going to take for me to cosplay. Oh, uh I'm totally down for it because we're going to be group cosplaying. Like I, I don't know if oh, there's yeah. another Totoro character I could do, but I would love to go as Billy Bob Thornton's character from Princess Mononoke, Jigo the Monk. <laughs> I was trying to think about Billy. Billy is like would Billy Bob like what from 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 Monster? Like wait, from Monsters Fall? Like, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, he plays uh, he plays Jigo the Monk. He's got like he's got like the little um, uh, uh, Gata sandals, wooden sandals. Dude, and, those uh, those Western. 
uh, dubs I've been watching recently again, and it's just so crazy. Like, oh yeah, this one's uh, Patrick Stewart. This one's Dakota Fanny. It's just oh yeah, wild to me, dude. Uh, Mononoke's got like Jillian Anderson and um, Billy Crudup. Oh and... man, I gotta watch that one. Oh yeah, the Mononoke dub is awesome. I think we. I think the last one I watched uh, again was Nausicaa, which is like. Uh, a, a big a big inspiration on the show I'm working on Wandla. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like Gnostica parallels in a cool way, and like just watching going like Uma Thurman <laughs> is just this like r- the random tank military general queen. Like that's a big get, y'all. Like it, that kind of thing, but it doesn't feel like uh, say the direct DVD like cash grabs now, where it's like <laughs> yeah. Alpha and Omega Five. We got we got Billy Baldwin to voice one of them. Yeah, it it feels um it feels like almost like out of the Wes Anderson school of casting. Like everyone uh, participating uh-huh. just feels so like excited to be there. Yeah, and I think it's just because uh, those those Ghibli films are so fucking sweet. They're very very cool. Uh, speaking of animated films, oh. um, we I, I'm glad we're we're here to talk about the um, the film of the summer, Space Jam Two. <laughs> Oh, yes. I need to know. I need to know. Have you not watched it yet, Kevin? No, I haven't seen it. I've seen so many takes on it, though. Yeah, I doubt I could bring a hot new spicy (laughs) take on Space Jam 2, but it does feel somehow podcast adjacent for us. Like, I need to know about it. I need to know. Like, give me. Oh, by the way, Paul's not dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. Paul's traveling. (laughs) Paul will be back. Welcome to Goosebuds. My name is Kevin Cole, and I'm here with my friend Chad Kwan, and usually we have our friend Paul Ritchie, but he's on vacation, and we're going to talk about a horror movie eventually, but right now we're being friends and talking. Now you're caught up. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there, so we're, dude, we're getting, what, 107 episodes in, we're getting better and better at the show. <laughs> we get it. We understand how to podcast. We don't just sort of have a have a friend chat and then remember that we're recording. Yeah, no, that's totally not what we do. Uh Kevin, like I, I just Space Jam Two is wild, and it's something I have been thinking about now for weeks since I've seen it. Um, I am so glad it was free on streaming because I would have not paid money to see it in theaters. But <laughs> dude, it, it it is just this wild IP smorgasbord of I know I said that more like Swedish Chef than saying the word smorgasbord. <laughs> Yeah, it is a movie that does not make LeBron James look good. It is not a movie that makes really? Warner Brothers look good. It, yeah, like like LeBron. I know it's his arc in the movie. I guess is he needs to realize he needs to let his son be a a gamer instead of a basketball player. Um, but he's also just like a rich dude the whole time, so you kind of lose a little bit of sympathy when he's like. They're in his giant mansion, and that's so not comp- like Michael Jordan was rich in the first one. Yeah. And yes, there are commercial bits in the first one, y'all, but it is drastically different. I will fight everyone on this. It is not the same thing. I've seen a lot of takes on Twitter like, they're both commercials. Just get used to it. No, guys. Michael Jordan did not fall and make a crater and leave behind a Nike symbol. <laughs> that is that is different. That's different than what happened in Space Jam. What aren't there all are, like? Are there also teases to other WB properties in there as well? It's not a tea. It's what? What's the opposite of a tease? What's oh. a full blown orgasmic release of <laughs> IPs? Oh, it, it it is the the main villain, Kevin uh, Al G Rhythm, oh. played by Don Cheadle, who is just burning up all of his goodwill. Oh no! Is a is a computer program 
that is <laughs> seemingly the Warner Brothers executives don't know where he came from. There's like a big, there's like a whole other like lawnmower man type movie <laughs> where everyone's like, yeah, he like he makes his presentation, but he controls the Warner Brothers server verse, <laughs> which is just a fancy way of saying this is the server with all of her movies saved on it. But it is depicting a like Super Mario Galaxy esque world where just every IP's got its own planet. It's kind of Mormonism. Everyone gets their own planet. Oh, good. And <laughs> yeah, LeBron's LeBron's flying past uh, 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 whatever the Matrix world, but then it's like it's just inside is two pills swirling around each other. Like I don't think people live there. <laughs> Game of Thrones world, uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. It, it is wild, and how it is just these are the things. Uh, these are our franchises. We are very intimidated by Disney. Like it feels it feels somewhat like a response to them. But they don't put um, they don't put Jon Snow on the basketball team, do they? No, but see that would be fucking dope. That like, would be dope. as dumb as that it would be, it, it is it is really weird in how they're like we love all these IPs. And by the way, I love that LeBron James, he immediately understands IP. He understands which ones are like when he lands there and he's got to assemble his team with bugs, he immediately knows which IP is uh, Warner Brothers. So he's like, oh, we gotta get, gotta get Gandalf. We gotta get King Kong. Get <laughs> Superman. And I wanted so badly for for one. I know like a lot of internet people are. You know, we're all kind of just absorbed this now. Mm-hmm. Kind of just know. But I wanted there to be a thing of him like, and we get and we get Mickey Mouse, and then Bugs be like, we can't. Nope, can't say his name. Don't do that. <laughs> like imagine being a young person. Yeah, with no context for who the Looney Tunes are. Because uh-huh. what have they done, like, in, in the past I, decade? Uh, like, No, that's a very good point. Like, There's been a bunch of new shorts that Warner Brothers has, like, not put out. <laughs> they, like, when I was working on Udy Kitty, there was a bunch of new shorts. I heard rave reviews for, like, these are amazing, they're fantastic, this is going to rebirth Looney Tunes, and then Warner Brothers just sat on them. I don't even know if they've ever come out. But your point is, yeah, they haven't made anything in a while. Yeah, there was, like, a modern, um, like... Bugs and Daffy live together, kind of show. Oh God, yeah, that's right. They made like it's like Judd Apatow Looney Tunes. Yeah, <laughs> but Taz was their dog, and I won't stand by that. Taz is not a dog. What the fuck? Taz has a family. T- t- yes. Where's Tasmania Erasure, Kevin? Thank you. <laughs> oh, Ke- Kevin, I- Kevin, I want you to watch it because okay, the, the you need to at least see it the minute mm-hmm. there is about sixty seconds. Where in the course of 60 seconds, it goes from LeBron James going, like, we got to assemble our team. We got to go to different Warner Brothers properties to find the Looney Tunes. It, he spins the whiteboard. And then Austin Powers comes, jumps out and goes, yeah, baby. No. And then, like, but he's, yeah, no, I'm not kidding. But it's just a shot. They didn't, like, shoot anything new. Everything in this movie is reused footage. No, you're fucking and with me. To, that can't be real. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> cuts, to, cuts to a clip from Austin Powers 2. <laughs> With Dr. Evil and Seth Green at the chair, and then the door opens when Mini-Me was supposed to walk in, but it's an Elmer Fudd, and Elmer Fudd is dressed like no. Mini-Me, no. and, and then Sylvester is like, oh, uh, Elmer, you're here, and Sylvester is Mr. Bigglesworth or whatever, the cat, and then it comes to, like, two more IPs, it's like it's like Wicked West, uh, Wicked Witch of the West, and another one, and then with before the minute's over... They're back to a spaceship, and then Rick and Morty show up, and they drop Taz. No, this isn't it. real. You're lying. To this me. is real. 
Rick and Morty drop Taz off and they say something about like, oh, your badger condition was irreversible. See a dum-dums and then they leave. And it is just like nonstop. You're going like, I don't know. I don't know where the hits are coming next. Who's going to show up? It is just wild. Is is it the death of culture? Um, right right now, yes or no, is it the death of culture? I, I know some people be like, oh, being pretentious about the kids. But guys, kids deserve better than this. Um, yeah, it is it is a thing that I swear, like the first year on Goose Buds, we talked about before we were joined by your wonderful self, Kevin. But I was obsessed with this idea of like franchise apocalypse, where everything would just be these like intellectual properties, and it would just always be that. And this is what that movie is proposing: just like just throw them out there, and and Fortnite's got everyone in it. Just like just throw them all in like a big old gumbo. It's like a never like the worst form of a melting pot. Ne- <laughs> it's terrible. Never have a new idea. <laughs> Never no. do anything untested. I, I actually like your idea, Kevin, though, of like, it should have been, I'm going, if you're going to do it, lean into it. Like, I'm going to recruit the best of the Warner Brothers. <laughs> Meanwhile, Don Cheadle's algae should have been like, I'm going to get the, the best villains ever because the goon squad in this one are f- garbage. But it should have been like, it should have been like Pennywise and Voldemort <laughs> and, and the Eye of Sauron as a tower all playing <laughs> basketball against the Looney Tunes. Like, if if there was just a shot of Pennywise, like, yes. crossing, like, LeBron James over and breaking his ankles, that would be the funniest fucking thing in the world. That would be incredible. It would it'd be incredible. But instead, it's there's like, this, guy named, this guy's name is Wet Fire, and he's made of water, but sometimes he's fire. Wait, does Warner like, Brothers own Goosebuds? Or, sorry, does Warner Brothers, do they oh, own shit. us? Does, oh, God. Uh, oh, God, I don't know. Uh, do they own Goosebuds? Do they own Goosebumps? Oh, well, that's also Goosebumps. We should also make sure they don't somehow own Goosebuds. We didn't sign a contract secretly at some point. Well, the movies are are, are Sony, okay. right? Like, yeah. the feature films are Sony. Uh, this was, I mean, what we're here today to actually talk about is Netflix. Right. But I, I just remembered uh, Jack Black saw uh, a Pennywise balloon in a gutter in Haunted Halloween. Oh, yeah! What was that? That's right. It was like a random... It was probably just a <laughs> random funny... That was probably more of a Stephen King reference than a than the WB uh, movie Sure, reference. probably probably just that, but <laughs> they, they couldn't resist. What if RL's like... The guy who won't sell out. I mean, he's sold out, but like he won't like he doesn't want to George Lucas it. He like doesn't want to sell the rights to Disney. He's like, I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. They're gonna bury the rights with me. You know, I would respect that. Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, dude. I wouldn't take back every bad thing I've said about his writing and art. <laughs> <laughs> but I would appreciate the hell out of that. <laughs> I would. I would think better of him. Yeah, I mean, or at least that's the smarter way to go. Is at least like you choose when your your stories are are being adapted. I I actually have not seen weirdly enough. I I didn't feel RL's presence in what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, like, let's let's talk about what we're here to talk about today. Um, so we're we're going to talk about Fear Street, nineteen seventy eight, the second of the chill the trilogy, which is a term I'm just using for it, but I don't know if that's official. <laughs> no, I think they're using trilogy for it. Good, okay, it's a trilogy. Well, it's 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 a marketing term. Yeah, for sure. I didn't come up with. It. I'm no genius. Yeah. Um, but the second in the trilogy, following nineteen ninety, yeah, nineteen ninety four. Yeah, nineteen ninety four, and this is seventy eight, right? Yes, uh, seventy eight. A uh, leading into the final one of. 
1666, which is a spooky number. Yeah. Uh, Chad, a lot of people liked uh, 1994. We were kind of all in agreement um, as the three of us that we didn't yeah. super like it. Uh, I thought this one was much better. Um, and I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I think I am am halfway there in that like I liked it more than 94 and I still kind of walked away from it going feeling dissatisfied but even more so I know when we talked about 94 we talked about how like it's hard to to view Grady's completely because it feels like there is some level of they're setting some stuff up for you know the entire three, right? And this one, and this one's paying that off a little bit more. Um, the framing device is following the '94 kids now. Um, Dina's, Dina's. I mean, she wasn't terrible in this because she didn't have to do anything other than ask questions. Um, but like, it's harder to to judge it on its own individual movie. I was trying to look at this if if I was like, if I just watched '78, no framing device. If I if it was just uh, a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Which I I know the director uh, Leah uh, I don't say her last name Leah Jan- uh, Janak Janiak uh, has compared this to Friday the Thirteenth while the first one was Scream and uh, I saw that she even called the third one like not even I thought it was gonna be the Vich but it's actually like some uh, other I wrote it down and forgot uh, she called it compared it to 2005's The New World a movie that I have not seen um, but yeah like. That was a long rambly way to say I I enjoyed the connections of maybe what it's doing to the greater lore. Right. Um, I found the violence really. I, it's not that I'm squeamish. I don't think I know I went really hard on like Kate dying in the last one with the the bread cutter. Mm-hmm. And and that was that hit me for different reasons, I think, than just being brutal and visceral. Uh, I would pick a yeah. different word for a lot of the violence that turns me off in this series, and I think it's cruel. That's what it is. It's cruel. The cruelty in uh, the Fear Street series is sort of portrayed as realistic, almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's realistic that the that like the the slasher would just you know murder a, a tiny beglasses the, the child. Oh, that poor kid. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Little little nerd kid gets fucking destroyed uh, by a slasher. And what is what emotion is that meant to elicit? Is it supposed to be like, well, you know, the Sarah Fear must be stopped, like, or is it? I don't know. We'll get to it, but it's just like yeah, no. But you, I, I think you, you're hitting what uh, when I when I wrote down a bunch of notes, I think I kept coming back to. I couldn't tell if this film, this film series is being nihilistically like shit just happens to you and that's the way it goes. Or what I think is in a lot of horror and horror adjacent stuff, which has been troped to death of like the morality lessons in them. Right. Like the, yeah, like the cliche, the most cliche one ever is the kids who are having sex are going to get killed early on. Do not. Because they're. If, if you find yourself in shady side, uh, never grab an ass. It's not going to work out well for you. Probably. Pro- that's very true. And that's, and that's a horror trope, right? Yeah. Like the, the, the couple that has snuck away upstairs to bone, Jason's going to get you. Like, 
and that's kind of a like weird like yeah because teenagers are supposed to fuck they're supposed to get married first or like whatever <laughs> whatever the morality of those movies always seem to be and i don't know what these movies are saying when just like the the kids who deserve to die don't deserve to die get really brutally murdered yeah i don't um, i don't know what this uh i don't know what this these movies are saying either and maybe we need to like watch the third one as as yeah. uh which would make sense but i don't know if it's going to uh put things right so much as like like end the 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 killing or something i don't like i don't know what they could possibly do to like undo all of the cruelty that's happened because obviously revenge isn't going to do that yeah the revenge of sarah fear feels so has felt so wild and random and chaotic, right? right? Like the rules of at some point, either either you disturb her grave, like mm-hmm. you you get flung out of a bus and you disturb her grave, and you're on her shit list. Or sometimes she just seems to pick a random kid and make him crazy. Um, yeah, like and and <laughs> it I, seems very wild. I I think uh, I I think maybe the the film makers are like hey they're going to be asking why a whole lot so we're going to have an amazing answer for them by the end because they're going to be so intrigued that they're going to make it to the third episode yeah I don't I don't know if they're going to have an answer that will be satisfying but I I guess I guess I'm entering into this with good faith that they might um but you know this is me like coming down on this where I, actually I thought this um this fear street was a little punchier uh where they weren't yeah, spending as much that. time setting stuff up um they had more like interesting supernatural scenes yeah dude uh dude the fucking uh heart or whatever like yeah yeah dude the heart was so cool loved that was it. sick there so <laughs> there's a heart there is a heart under the trees of this camp and it felt very silent hill and that was sick oh my god it was so great uh and gross like it i, I love slither uh it's one the slither's like yeah. one of my favorite horror movies slither's fun um so i thought uh i, I thought that was like a neat little slivery kind of uh feeling scene uh i i, I bet yeah, it had the slime and everything, so some of it was at least practical. But it's, it seemed like those kids should have stabbed that heart. By the way, it seemed like it seemed like if if they had just like curb stomped that heart right there, everything would have gone away. Uh, that's just my that's just my <laughs> wild guess. Felt like that was the massive weak point, and Chris Redfield would have shot the fuck out of that thing. Well, we're I mean, it's cool that we're like gathering clues for like the big finale, yeah, that's right? Because like Sarah Fear, Sarah Fear doesn't have a hand, and uh, that hand is buried in this movie yeah which actually makes some of the stuff in the first one play off better right so yeah. the the scenes of in the first one of they have read an incantation and they are sure that if they bury rebury seraphir the curse will stop mm-hmm. and i think we even maybe called it out as like a so what was the fucking point yeah if that doesn't do anything in the first one i guess this one's kind of answering like oh they missed a page that said the hand needed to be part of it to be complete. Um, so it's almost like those two movies are going to come together where I'm sure in the third one, there'll be like a, we gotta, we gotta put them together. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. Well, that's also, it'd be so interesting if you could do these like purely like act one, act two, act three, but each of them have to have their own 
kind of start and end with the individual characters. We should, I mean, this is a, honestly, we should re, not just unpack what the, the general plot of this one is. I think it's going to be a lot easier. For whatever reason, I noticed that, like, compared to 1994, where I had felt like it was almost a TV show scrunched down because it just, things kept happening. It's a pretty, like, clear-cut night. Like, just things go bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It it feels um, it feels much more coherent, and uh, it, it does lean on tropes a little more. This does feel... Mm, totally. Um, this does feel a little less uh, fresh, but it does, I don't know, just kind of move a little better, because this whole thing is just an homage, like, to the general vibe of the Fear Street uh, books, right? Like, we're not following, like, the exact plot of any one Fear Street, right? No, I, I could not, and again, we're you know we're a little bit greener on knowing all the Fear Street books, yeah. but it, this did not see, it's, even though there was a couple in the, in the first movie that felt like, oh, that's the first book of the Cheerleaders one, basically. This felt very much a, this is Fear Street, Friday the 13th. And and by setting this at camp, this kind of does something, uh, it's kind of all Riot Bus, if we if you remember Riot Bus from the last. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, oh, I'll never forget Riot Bus, the best part of that movie. <laughs> by, by setting this at, uh, at a horribly run institution of the summer camp. Oh my camp, god. <laughs> <laughs> where where the only adult i guess is a is a nurse who um tr- genuinely tries to stop all of the killing from happening again like yeah because her you find out her daughter was one of the the killers aff- afflicted by Sarah Fear yeah uh nurse the switchblade girl nurse lane yeah. yeah ruby lane was the do- her daughter had killed a bunch of people mm-hmm. and she is investigating and trying to stop this. Yeah, she's trying to crack the case, uh, but she sees a new name get writ on uh, the witching wall or whatever, and it's one of the counselors at camp that Cindy... Uh, C. Ber- C. Berman. It's C. Berman. Uh, C. Berman telling you the story of the night, and they already tell you, like, my my sister died, and everyone died at that camp, so now you just kind of know that it's not going to go well. Yeah. And that's sort of an interesting consequence of uh, telling these stories in, like, reverse time order, is that you kind of know that things are kind of locked in place. But they do a, they do kind of a switcheroo, I guess, or they try to, with because we have two, we have two, uh, what's the, uh, Berman? We have two Bermans? Oh, uh, so that we, there are two Bermans. We are introduced to uh, Sadie Sink from uh, uh, Stranger Things. Yep. Is playing Ziggy Berman, mm-hmm. and her older sister, played by Emily Rudd, playing Cindy Berman, mm-hmm. the red herring of the oh well, this is the C Berman that Gillian Jacobs is telling Dina and Josh about in the present, um, and it's jumping back and forth between Ziggy and Cindy's POV, um, pretty much. I guess it cuts to like they're kind of our main, they're definitely our main protagonists of this. Yeah, but I never like got why it would really fucking matter which one of them ended up being the uh, Gillian Jacobs at the end. Yeah, it, it it was only like that was only the only unknown of it. Maybe and maybe this was their, you know, attempt of addressing like, well, we're already going to tell them in the first movie that everyone died that night, so you kind of just know who's making it, including yeah. it's it, like you said it's a, it's it's just kind of a inherently baked into it. The camp counselor, uh, Nick Good, like, I know he's not dying because he's a cop in the first one. Like, yeah, 
he he's he's making it. So when he goes out into the woods, all of the tension of like, oh, is he gonna get? I'm the killer. No, he's not. He's gonna be fine. <laughs> he's an interesting character as a teenager because <laughs> he's sort of yeah. like. I don't know. I guess he's supposed to be like this dreamy character, but you know, he becomes a cop later and he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, I wish I didn't have to become a cop, but I'm gonna. I really like reading Dude, whoa, books. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I wrote that down in a weird interaction at the beginning of the day where a cop was like, I think the dialogue from the older cop was, boy, it's a shame your dad died. Well, here's you being my boss soon. And he just left. <laughs> like, like you're just the, the, the wheel of fate is turning young Nick Good and you will be a cop and you are also already exploiting your power by hitting on a camp counselor yep yeah uh, I th- there's this weird sort of like sense of fate that kind of has a grip on this three movie the trilogy where like no one can escape shady side or, or or sunnyvale or whatever like no one can no one can change anything and like everything that's uh everything that's happening now is because of stuff that happened 20 to 400 years ago and mm-hmm. nothing can be done you're just a pawn in in this ancient game and is the ultimate answer going to be no we can we can forge our own futures i don't think it's going to <laughs> Not this hopeful message because it's a fucking slasher horror series. So what? Yeah, I the the this movie makes it a little bit clear that I, I had I guess I had really connected it in the first one mm-hmm. that uh, the shady siders uh, are being much more targeted by the curse, whether that's intentional or not. Yeah, um, it wasn't until I read a comment on this one that was like. If they do, they do a very clearly distinct. This night, when when a murder a murder fest is starting, is the night of the color war. A thing that I never did at camp. Yeah, probably I, for multiple reasons. I, um, I didn't go to camp. Um, so <laughs> it sounded so sad when you said it. Well, I mean, I know color war is a thing. It's just it it all seems very uh insensitive but like the se- the 70s setting really like makes up for that like i'm willing oh, to sure. believe yeah. I'm, I'm i'm more willing to believe like the 70s would like have all of this like horrible segregation of two classes like well, two- that, yeah that was what was so weird to me is the camp split them up right yeah. it's a, it's a it's a summer both of these movies keep doing this thing where i think they're going to like the, the interesting character na- dynamics of the Pawnee and the Eagletons, mm. the the people that have to mix yeah. and mesh of different class systems. And instead, this this camp was poor's on this side, Richie's on this side. We're giving you different shirts. <laughs> and now you're going to fight each other at the end. You know, I, I guess Color War is about kidnapping each other. I could not actually figure out the rules to Color War. Yeah, it was like... Um flag tag or whatever like i don't yeah it was a capture the flag but there was no objective as far as i could tell it was like just don't get don't get brought into a room where a jailer will guard you right One team picked a uh poor dorky fat kid with glasses yep who deserved better who deserved much wanted better. to play charades <laughs> and and but then if you from the other team come in and can just like tag them out they get to come back and start playing again so I don't even know what the jailer is supposed to do other than say, I'll tag you. So we sort of continue the theme of um, there are some 
shady side people who are genuinely nice. Uh, and there are some yeah. shady side people who do drugs and have sex and they, and they die. <laughs> they, they have to, the, the drug couple was so doomed from the beginning. So marked for death. Also like, uh, you know, it's funny that this one has like better, I think like better pacing and flow and it didn't feel like it was 10 episodes of a TV show. Yeah. But I also had felt a lot more attached to 1994's cast. I, like, the group of those kids. Maybe it was just Kate and Simon. But I, I kept thinking, I was waiting for, like, the stoner girl, for example, in this one to become a character. And she was really just there for a sex scene and to die. Yeah, I can't, I can't like, say I wish these characters were better developed since they're all going to die anyway. So I know. Uh, I, I kind of liked the fact, well... I like the fact that I wasn't as attached to these characters because it uh it, it honestly made the the plot flow a little smoother. Uh that mm-hmm. we weren't doing so much time developing these characters that were obviously doomed. I appreciated that, I guess. But uh the thing that sort of makes me not wanna like hang out in this universe is how fucking shitty everyone is to everyone else at all times. Yeah, dude. Like, if you're from Shady Side, like Sun- Sunny Valers hate you. Other shady side people hate you. No, it's a very nihilistic, like bleak form of being a teenager, and maybe that hits for some folks. But I was more just like whoever wrote and made these films did not did not enjoy adolescence, and also like d- loathed it. Is how I interpreted that. Yeah. So, like, what's the what's the ultimate plan here? Because it seems like the plan in the short term is save uh witch girlfriend from the last one uh sam save sam save sam but like by shutting down the witch you end the curse which saves shady side but is there anything in shady side to save that's deep i don't know if that's compelling enough for me honestly because like you gotta have something like kate and simon were something about shady side to love right yeah Mm -hmm. they were uh the moments of hope and optimism in a town that seemed pretty pretty lame yeah and and there are no moments of hope and optimism in 1978 at all no it's really like i i really was kind of fascinated and thrown by our introduction to ziggy is her um being they, yeah. this right? they were like they were gonna hang her they were gonna burn ziggy uh at the they stake. burn ziggy on yeah you see them hold a lighter except to her and then they start to hang her yep and the council's like hey what's going on here ziggy you gotta stop fucking around and then they just blame ziggy which i guess i know happens that a kid is unfairly thing but i was like what did ziggy do like everyone talks about her as if she's a monster it was a really intense way to like start off this story but it's shrugged off so quick by Ziggy and everyone else. Like, it's just like, Haha, we're rivals now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some cartoonish antagonism with uh, Sheila, I think. Like, uh, yeah. Like, eyebrows girl who's just like, I just hate you. I, I guess she was from Sunnyvale. I'm just assuming because Car- she must have been. Cartoonish is definitely the word. One, it feels like it's going in fast motion. Uh, there's only a little bit of time where, like, no one's aware of the killer uh, on the campground um, who is uh, uh, not Tommy. Um, what's his name? No, Tommy. The killer is uh, Tommy. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's Tommy. 
Um, Which I remember thinking was I remember thinking that was maybe a Friday the Thirteenth reference because that's one of the characters. Maybe it's probably just coincidence, but I don't know, man. <laughs> the more I like try to think of like good things to say about this, the more I'm struggling. I, I love all the stuff with like the witch uh, and the tunnels beneath the camp and stuff like that. Like that's really creepy. Yeah, discovering that the camp was built on top of the ruins of the original settlement that they vaguely reference was one settlement before it was split. Yeah. Which is like, that's clearly going to be something in 1666. Sure, that'll be a thing. Yeah, and like the occult stuff is cool. Like going like into like the witch's hut or whatever and like going down to the caves and like seeing all the all the ritual sites and stuff like that. Like that's really creepy and cool and tense. Uh, and like the <laughs> the gore in in this one was pretty uh over the top because drunky dude gets his face split open in the <laughs> in the caves i yeah there dude there's just like that's that's really what i i know that there's gonna be people who've listened to this going like that didn't bother them at all and that's super that's super fine it just i kept watching this going like there's someone there's some dude like jerking it to this <laughs> one there's something about like the snuff porn of just like a character a character walks on screen and it's a beautiful young person and then you just see their head get split with an axe and then their head gets split with an axe and then their head gets split with an axe <laughs> what, um, what about that like grody ankle break scene yeah so she she <laughs> that one hit that's visceral because i'm terrified my ankles break it all the time um, <laughs> that was such like a catastrophic ankle failure like i've never seen oh, <laughs> she freaked out she touched she touched the silent hill heart yeah and then, and then, just like lost her cool and fell fell down a stair. Can we talk about the Silent Hill heart because it's my favorite part? The Silent Hill heart was amazing. It's so gross. It's so like I love that. I love everything about the the gross beating pile of organs uh, at the center. It's a great like metaphor. It's a great like creepy scene, dude. I wonder if I wondered if that was Sarah Fear. Like we we keep seeing a figure in like cloaked, and I'm like, well, that might just be a, a vision. I wonder if that is what is physically on this material plane as Sarah Fear. Yeah, I wonder because, like, we have Sarah Fear's bones that are elsewhere. Maybe this is, like, the rest. Yeah, this is, like, her evil entity or something. Yeah, this is just, like, her inside out, like, jelly pile, parasite Eve thing, whatever. <laughs> it's also, to use a video game term, it is, we find out later, it is literally a monster closet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, it just spawns enemies. Like, it, uh, it could just generate monsters. It, it definitely has, like, a womb sort of quality when it, like, squ- squirts out, like, this gel that morphs into as uh, the form of one of the killers. That was pretty great. I, I actually really liked that part. That, that part was much better. I think that was, was interesting as I found myself more resonating with, there's really two plot lines in this, following the two different sisters. And, and I think, tell me if you think this is a gross simplification, Kevin, but yeah. it is. Uh, older sister Cindy is going down into the mines, uh, hidden tunnels with uh, stoner, stoner punk rock girl, mm-hmm. uh, Alice maybe is her name. And yeah. They're they're investigating what seems to be Seraphir's hangout. There's even tables, and they notice like the candle had been recently been lit, which was not answered later. I figured that candle was um uh was Nurse Lane because she's the I one. I wondered if that was her. I guess it just seemed like it had been too far long ago. Yeah, um, yeah, because it probably was because Tommy's attacked by Nurse Lane that day, and then she could have been like down in the in the witch mines or something. <laughs> 
I'm, she, she got some bug juice and some breakfast and then went down here and started trying to do some rituals. She's literally the only adult at camp, so she can kind of do whatever I, yeah. she wants. That that's just I maybe that's what camps were like in the seventies. I thought it was crazy there wasn't another adult there because you didn't you didn't need to take the adults away for the horror. Like have the adults fucking get killed and that raises the stakes. But instead, like he was like last day at camp and everyone goes away. There is a bus at one point. There's a bus driver somewhere <laughs> yeah. that we never see. Yeah, I assume it's one of the counselors driving the bus though. I don't think they sure. Keep a- yeah, they're certified to drive the bus. But <laughs> it's just a adultless camp, which is also weird that it wasn't just a fuck fest nonstop if there is no adult supervision. Yeah, I mean it, it was. It super was a fuck it fest. It pretty nonstop. much was, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's that scene with, like, uh, the future mayor of Sunnyvale, uh, and that one random sexy shady cider. Oh, wait, is that who that, oh, is that the, the asshole jock dude yeah. is the future mayor? That's who that is. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's Sheriff Good's brother. Uh, that's why they have, oh, like. Oh, sure. Yeah. He sucks. Yeah. Like, he, 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 he hooks up with, in my opinion, the coolest girl in the show, the movie, the the stoner, the the sexy stoner girl who's just like pro weed and yep. being chill. And they hook up and his first response is, if you tell anyone about this, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. Not cool. <laughs> Not a cool thing to say to someone post-sex. Um, <laughs> even if from different sides of town, by the way. Don't say that to someone. A, not surprised he becomes a bear i guess yeah but, like i are just going like she's just like eh, whatever I'm like no stand up for yourself girl he doesn't respect you i don't i don't think i don't think she was in it for the respect it seems like a very shallow relationship overall but the mayor but you know it's funny it's, you say that then the mayor didn't die like i was yeah there's a bunch of these like setups of like the shitty kids mm. and which in my mind what I enjoy out of a good horror movie is the catharsis of someone who has been terrible, who has it coming. Those kills are a lot more like they're still squeamish. They might be scary or you still don't want them to die. But I felt a lot, you know, it's the great, the best part of 1994, I think was probably that fake out where the shitty boyfriend of Sam's gets <laughs> stabbed in the hospital because you don't yeah. see it coming. You're also like, yeah, fuck him. And like, oh, now we get out. It's like a fun moment. And this one had the future mayor, asshole dude, running around in a towel, like naked. And then you don't kill him? What are you doing? There's no fun kills in this one, really. There's no fun kills. Yeah. I mean, that the the axe kill, is the first axe kill is brutal uh, and uh, like almost cartoony as many as many people said, like the bread slicer uh, kill was in the first one, but uh, yeah, y- yeah, it, you aren't like yes, yes, like maybe, yeah. <laughs> finally, maybe, maybe the the only one close to possibly being funny is poor uh, curly haired Gary, who I knew he was dead from the second I saw him. <laughs> uh, he gets his head yeah. chopped off and then and then falls through the outhouse, like yep that. That that whole, I, I, can we talk about the outhouse and how they they built a latrine yep. on top of caves? Yes, 
it is a uh, outhouse big enough for you to put your head into because poor Sadie is just sticking her head down there all the time. Yep. There are multiple characters climbing up and down what must have just been shit covered rocks. Yes. Uh, but not addressing it. And then at one point, yeah, Gary gets decapitated and you just see his entire body come right through. <laughs> Shoulders and everything. Like, birthing a baby. A headless baby. <laughs> he comes, he comes, and then he spends, like, two scenes just a headless corpse next to them. Yep. He didn't really have much of a personality, but, like, he was still sympathetic. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. here are all these, like, mildly sympathetic characters getting killed. Where, like, usually, I guess in, like, like Friday the 13th or whatever, like, it's it's about like punishment right like it's about it always feel, I mean, yeah from the ones i've seen it always felt like this was punishment for people's hubris yeah or you know the different sins that they commit and so you're you're like that's why the you know the i think um cabin in the woods mm-hmm. right does the trope so well of like the one that always lives is the virgin because they're pure of heart whatever right that mm-hmm. kind of like that's the trope Right. Um, and I'm sure there's probably a hundred examples people listening to are like, well, that's not how it works in this one movie. But I think that's the default. That's like the general. Yeah. They have like another like weird little moment um, when uh, when Cindy and Alice are in the in the caves. Um, at, like Alice reveals that she like uh, trigger warning self injury. Uh, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> dude, that one did not hit for. Yeah, please. Yeah. Please. So Alice reveals that like she's a self injurer and like that's how she copes with among um, uh, like with drugs like self-injury is how she copes with the pain of being in shady side that moment is very brief um and it's about i think like 10 it, it's after um alice totally explodes her ankle <laughs> about 10 minutes before she's just axed like immediately just totally fucking oh, dude, it's it's i had this it's 30 seconds beforehand it is a <laughs> I think it, that that scene in, in particular is like a great example of what seems like on paper it should totally work, or maybe like there's a version of it that totally would hit. That the end of the movie, yeah, it's pretty much like past the second act. Alice is opening up to Cindy about you know their past. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're referring to like there's even more that they really didn't get into. I felt like maybe that was cut in earlier scripts about like their history. And yeah, Alice. The the most emotional thing in the movie is Alice talking about her cutting herself. Yeah. And 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 that she also like wants to to live like live and fight and she wants to do this to you know to make things right because she lost the love of her life, that stoner. And <laughs> it, it just it felt so not cool, but tone deaf to have ten seconds later an axe in her head from a killer that you knew was coming back. Like, yeah, at that point in the movie, you're kind of just waiting for the kills to happen. You're not, you know, you're always ahead of the, the character. Oh, I had a tally because they tell you that there are going to be seven deaths and there are. They said seven. Yeah, I, I think there are more. Um, But like, it's always seven. It's always seven people who get killed every time one of the, these shady side killers. Oh, I missed that. That's interesting. That it's always. I that, think a, I think yeah. I might be wrong because the killer at the beginning of 1994 only gets two i've been waiting for a story to like uh address and explore uh self-injury and to see it just sort of like mentioned and then like tossed away as just a yeah the universe chews you up and spits you out what are you gonna do about it like i don't really see this series having like a she-ra or steven universe kind of like no shit matters (laughs) sort of ending so it's like 
so so it's like what it's like the world is totally shit and cruel and there's no escape apart from the icy scythe of death like what what i don't know what to like get out of this apart from haha man head explode yeah yeah and again i think if the i think if the kills had been more interesting it'd be a lot more on board um yeah like there there's what i'm really kind of like in a weird way this movie made me want to watch 1666 even more so because yes it what what i thought my thesis of what these movies were trying to do I wasn't really subverted, but just like I didn't see how they they worked together. I think we talked about 1994 and how there's an interesting dynamic there and how they are depicting Dina and Sam, uh, a, a young uh, uh, LGBTQ couple, and how they are being viewed in the city, right? Like, and how Shady Side and Sunnydale view them, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been. It's not. It wasn't easy. Uh, it's not easy now, but it wasn't easy in the 90s uh, being gay. Mm. and like shady side seeming to be the downtrodden city right the like the, the, the there's the haves and the have-nots and dina and sam represent that and so i'm like okay we're gonna find i think we talked about this if not this is just something i've been thinking since then like mm. we're gonna find out in 1666 that because they've already been showing that seraphir looks like dina or now at the end of this one dina becomes seraphir that I'm pretty sure we're going to find out that Seraphir was persecuted because she was gay. And that's going to be the kind of morality of the movie that Seraphir was unfairly killed and she punished the, you know, these other puritanical people. Cause that's what happened back then. Yeah. Isn't it, um, isn't it kind of kooky that there are only white straight people in 1978? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would have been maybe going to find to have a little bit more, representation there being like gay people existed in 1978 wouldn't have been the most controversial statement but yeah also maybe (laughs) trying to think like maybe the only two people of color in this movie were two young kids who were brutally killed um i'm trying to think about i think there was a a young uh black boy and a young asian girl who were just killed off screen yeah by tommy yeah Um, that's not a lot of great inclusiveness in uh in in fear street 1978 yeah oh sorry i just like but the fact that it's the shut the shady siders being targeted Mm -hmm. completely somehow like doesn't connect with what i thought was the first movie's thing of like these are the people who are who are afflicted unfairly Mm -hmm. and now if the curse is targeting them i'm guessing we're going to find out like oh the shady side were the people that that doomed Sarah fear. And that's why she's picking on them. But that doesn't work with a metaphor for being gay and persecuted. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and like, this doesn't have to be about being gay, but I thought by having like a, a sapphic love story in the first one, we might, there might be some sort of thread through to nineteen. But now I don't know. Now I'm abandoning that theory after this one. I I thought I had it figured out, and I think maybe that was just a detail. Yeah, I I think I could turn my brain off a little more when I watched this one, um, because it didn't have to build up a whole like mythos for me. Uh huh. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just it didn't do much with its platform, and before people before straw people start saying in my head that we're overanalyzing <laughs> this thing that's supposed to be kind of thoughtless. And it's like, well, maybe I don't enjoy thoughtless media. 
Also, welcome to welcome to a podcast where we dissect YA books that are ninety pages long. Exactly, um, exactly. In a weird way, these movies are giving us more to chew on than most of the books usually do. Yeah, take um, take that fictional straw critic that I that doesn't <laughs> exist. I I I actually it's funny enough. This makes me want to read the Fear Street books more. Me too, not because me of too. how much I'm loving these movies, but the ones we've read on the podcast. I've enjoyed a lot. I also didn't remember them feeling so nihilistically towards teenage years. Like I thought, I thought I remember there being kids who liked each other in the Fear Street books yeah. that we've read. And in this one, even the sisters hate each other. Yeah, we joke about um, how RL hates kids, but he does have like a little bit of empathy for kids in his book, which is why I think you know he found success as a what is it a kids horror writer i guess yeah like yeah. I, I think he like we joke about rl a lot but i think he does have a shred of empathy for children i don't <laughs> i don't think whoever's working on this has any empathy for teenagers whatsoever yeah this one felt a little bit like someone was i am can't believe i'm getting away with just both both nudity on Netflix, which still feels weird to me. For some reason, Netflix feels like you're not allowed to show a boob. Um, a lot of dude butt. And also, a lot of dude butt. And then also just like, yeah, that's an eight-year-old kid. He just got fucking hit in the head with an axe. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I guess that's fine. So on on the topic of, of the adorable nerdy child who is brutally uh, oh, that poor kid. murdered, um, that's definitely there for, I think, a really like shittier reason than just nihilism i think that scene is actually there so people will talk and make podcasts and tweet about it like i seriously think the only reason to include that kill is because it's like ooh, how delightfully devilish like it's it's so people go is that the is that the is that the bread cutter kill of this movie yeah is that the yeah they want to have a kill that's so brutal that people take to Twitter and start talking about it, whether they like it or not. I I think I think that is more cynical of a kill than a nihilistic kill. I think they put it in so people would talk about it. And look, it worked. We did. We're talking about it. We're filling up a fucking podcast with it. I- it, it, it reminds me of like, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to this podcast and I've subjected you to Dead by Daylight, um, yeah. a game that I'm I'm very into and have way too many hours on and I have a love-hate relationship with it. There, every once in a while, there'll be a game in Dead by Daylight where, you know, I'm playing as a survivor and I've already been caught. I'm on this big meat hook, which is already brutal. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, the killer will just hang around my corpse and just keep hitting my corpse. <laughs> like, I can see that they're not pursuing the objective. <laughs> they are just enjoying the sound of the knife going into my model. And I'm like, well, they're probably 10. Or <laughs> they're a fucking weirdo that is, like, getting off on that. In some sort of weird way of I am taking a beautiful young teenager and just like enjoying the sound of a knife going into them. And for whatever reason, there was a couple moments in this movie where I was like, am I just, is that, did that, did that kid I played against in Dead by Daylight, did he write this movie with just like, um, the, the, the near the end with the Berman sisters. Yes. Have yeah. probably not the wisest choice to decide to go bury the, the hand. Now we can end it. Now we can also do it later. The bus is leaving, but we're going to go do it now. Yeah. And, and are getting getting pincered attacked by a bunch of cool killers that we wouldn't get to see them do anything cool with. And it's just like five minutes of their corpses just getting hit 
over and over again with axes and knives as they stare at each other. And maybe it was supposed to be a beautiful shot, but it just felt really like, yeesh, guys. Like, I get it. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, like the the axe like descends over and over and over again, like making hamburger out of Cindy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yet apparently like Ziggy's wounds are shallow enough, despite getting stabbed multiple times, that... Yeah, uh, Gary Oldman stabbed her, and she got uh, CPR'd back to life. Yeah. Which, how? What? Was that, what was the problem? Like, the problem wasn't, was the problem that she couldn't breathe, or was the problem that there was a fucking hole in her chest? <laughs> <laughs> Nick Good just, just gave her mouth to mouth so good through the power of love that she was able to come back to, to life. Um, yeah. Um, and then we flash back to 1994, and the Scooby gang... Uh, says where's the tr- where's the tree now because the the hand the sarah fierce hand slips out of one of the girl's hands and it goes into the it goes under the tree uh in in the pit they dug where they found a iou one sarah fear <laughs> sign <laughs> yeah i'm assuming we're gonna find out that in 16 16- there's a rock that says sarah fear lives forever yeah <laughs> and and so they berman is finding out now, oh yeah, we found her body by the side of the road. It was in a very shallow grave. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're like, where's the tree? Where's the tree? And it's at, it's at the mall. Oh, the, the end is I like kinda the actually, I kind of actually liked it being at the mall. That was so, that was so dumb, but I kind of liked it it's great. As, a, as a payoff. It, it's great, but it's awkward in this because like the, <laughs> the story's already over, but we're just kind of stuck with the framing device, which is really weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I can't really think of a, a work that, like, just has the framing device, like, linger on like that. Because obviously you can't go right into 1666. You need to you need that connective tissue. But it just feels, like, weird to me. I don't know. I Well, this is, yeah, this is also different than what I thought these movies were going to be. I thought they were going to be a lot more self-contained. Me too. The same way, like, American Horror Story will do, like, you know, either the same cast plays themselves or different characters or they'll maybe be a nod. But they are, like, this this time we're doing 50s witches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, as opposed to we are going to have, like, this movie was just a flashback told via Gillian Jacobs. Uh, as opposed to being in the movie where we in the audience are kind of... I almost would have like I liked it more if I hadn't been told about Camp Nightwing the, the the movie beforehand. You know what I mean? Can I can I just a shout out to like the 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 most interesting killer of the Fear Streets? Oh, has been teased now in two of these, and I won't. I can't get my Bat Boy. It, we have this tiny little boy with a wooden mask and a bat, or he's maybe he's a tiny man. Maybe he's a short king, <laughs> and. And even in this one, they finally summon him at the very end when they're all getting flanked around. He does this cool little bat flick, like, I'm going to do that to your head. <laughs> and I just I just I just want to see him in action, Kevin. And we don't get it. Is he in, is he from 1666? Probably not because bats weren't invented. He's but too fun for this series. Unfortunately, he's he's too much fun. And we're never going to see him because <laughs> he's not coming back in 1666. No, yeah, they hadn't ve- they hadn't invented Louisville sluggers by then. I <laughs> But we are going to get I guess we're I guess the whole like 78 and 94 casts are getting like remixed into this 1666 vision quest yeah. thing. Yeah. And they showed they showed a glimpse of like Josh, I think Kate was in there, yeah. so I'm like 
I, I doubt it's going to be – I was kind of thrown by the, the teaser of this last one. Honestly, made it even a little more interesting where it seemed like Dina time-traveled back into the body of Sarah Fear, which I thought was going to be different than just her playing Sarah Fear, the actor. Um, I'd be curious how they handle that, like, are these all their ancestors, right? Like, this, yeah. is, this is Kate's great-great-great-great-grandmother. Um, or are they all, like – slingered into their bodies or or is this just like a vision is this a dream sequence <laughs> or is this just a dream sequence i'd be very curious how they do it yeah um i i'd say we'll we'll stick around for the third one just out of curiosity yeah we gotta see this through man yeah i, I know we're like we're, we're rough on these but i'm enjoying talking about them through with you me too like i'm i feel bad because like i thought i had like a stronger case for this and then i started thinking about this movie <laughs> <laughs> I think didn't that happen to us for '94? We all, I, or maybe '94. I, I came in going like, "What a fun, fresh way to do another another uh, scream!" And yeah. then by the time we were done talking, I'm like, "Fuck this piece of shit." <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly, I I wish these movies were better because uh, at least in '94 there were a few moments where I was like, I could get into this. It's just I'm frustrated by this by the series because. I don't know what it's trying to say, and it has one more chance to say it. Yeah, I thought I was getting a bearing on what its thesis was, um, even if it's something as simple as life sucks and then you die. Maybe that's what it is now, but it has been shifting a little bit with where its direction was on this one. I'd love to see what happens in 1666. Here's, you know, why I'm also glad I'm excited to see 1666, because they can't do any fucking pop music drops. <laughs> They can't. They can't just. They can't just Guardians of the Galaxy it and have Cherry Bomb play five goddamn times in the movie. All right. Um, con- controversial statement. Fuck Cherry Bomb. It's terrible. <laughs> I had never really heard it until the last couple of years when Guardians of the Galaxy two made it more popular. I did write down that I I found it an interesting choice for that first horror attack of Tommy. Using my man Cat, Steez- Cat Stevens, Yusuf Islam. Yep. The first cut is the deepest. Yep. Uh, I love me some Cat Stevens. You play me Cat Stevens? Play me Cats in the Cradle? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to goddamn cry. The wind, dude? The fucking wind? Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, that Cat Stevens song, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, tears, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I will just, I, I will just pour. Uh, so it was interesting to see it used here for a horror movement moment that didn't completely hit for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. What are they going to do? Use an old, use an old minstrel song <laughs> in 1666. I, I feel like they're between a rock and a hard place because, uh, like if they do use like pop music drops into 1666, um, it'll be too much fun. It'll be too fun for this very nihilistic horror series. And we might not take it super seriously, and we might have a little bit of enjoyment when we watch a horror movie, which would make it not if, horror. <laughs> I, I'm kind of now hoping that there is a like a, a church choir cover of David Bowie's Space Oddity or something. It's <laughs> like... We're like, oh, what a weird choice. It's kind of a beautiful song as, you know, as the, a goat is curb stomping them to death or whatever happens in this movie. Okay, so if, like, if Dina is having this as a vision where she's seeing faces that she recognizes uh, and it's just sort of like the witch trying to, like, fill in for, like, Dina uh, being yeah. like, 
this person was your best friend. So you're seeing my best friend as her. Like, I hope there's just like a dude with a loot uh, who starts <laughs> who starts playing Bark at the Moon or something. Kevin, that sounds <laughs> sick. I would watch the fuck out of that movie. That sounds actually good. You got me more excited, dude. I'm I'm down to watch 1666 with you and probably Paul when he because he'll be back in uh, podcast land by then. Oh, yeah. Oh shit! We forgot to make up some sort of contrivance. Like Paul fell into like the I know the the soul tornado or whatever. Here, here, here well, here's I think we already said that that Paul is traveling. Yeah, let's do it like um the the old Fraggle from Fraggle Rock. Yeah, where <laughs> where his uncle is just traveling around seeing the sights. Paul. Yep. Paul and and his love Jen are are traveling the West Coast taking pictures with big big explorer helmets on mm-hmm. and they're sampling local cuisine yep and uh they're gonna return with some some west coast artifacts probably a frisbee <laughs> and a little plastic uh oscar statue that everyone buys in hollywood boulevard and we're we're all we're all gonna ooh and ah and eat those uh radish things that those doozers make oh my god when they, or when they just ate the buildings they made those like crystal crystal bricks oh my god it looks so good dude i'm gonna i'm gonna go have some crystal bricks right now i think I'm going to go eat some foundation, y'all. Uh, Kevin, I thank you for talking about this second part of this very weird movie trilogy with me. Chad, thank you so much for coming on my podcast, Goosebuds, uh, and, po- <laughs> and talking to me. It was an honor, Kevin. It was, um, it was a privilege. Hey, hey if you if you liked uh, the movie or didn't like the movie or just want to talk about it, we'd love to hear from you. It's 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 also okay to have different opinions. Yes, um, please. You can follow, you can contact us at goosebuds at gmail dot com, or you can call. Uh, I'm gonna say call us. You can contact us on Twitter at goosebudspod. If you throw like a dollar at us, you can come and hang out in our goosebuds Discord, uh, which I I lurk in uh, until I find the confidence to post something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 intimidated by our very cool discord people i um, i just i just want people to like have fun and i don't want to be like the mom with like the plate of hors d'oeuvres like walking because <laughs> you're the game master Kevin. Yeah, you want yeah. everyone to have a good time yeah yeah i mean yeah it is a good time in our discord uh and also uh if you want to support our show i believe I believe the new merch is ready at goosebuds.store yeah goosebuds.store or if that link is it sometimes the link says i've noticed even for me the link will be like this is a suspicious link that's going to steal all your information that's google chrome don't worry about it power through click through to it goosebuds.store we'll take you to our etsy store we have some amazing new merch uh limited edition red goosebuds hat and some new wrestler shirts designed by the great kayla klein uh as well as some new stickers i'd say check it out yeah it uh it, it's looking good we're gonna we're gonna take some more modeling shots uh as well yes we got that cool sticker by our friend brock oh yeah the goosebud 64 cover is so so good mm. um I, I i have that sticker on just enough things in my own house that it doesn't feel egotistical to have my own podcast <laughs> uh, advertised everywhere. It's fine. It's got your friends on it. Why wouldn't you like that? Yeah, that's what it is. I love I love Kevin and Paul and seeing their cute Earthbound type characters. Yeah. Um, Check out Goosebuds.store or go to Etsy and search for Goosebuds. You'll probably find us. And Patreon.com slash Goosebuds, if we didn't say. Patreon.com slash Goosebuds. Yeah, that's all our things. We did it. That's all our things. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Uh, Kevin, shall we uh, wrap it up? I think we'll probably be covering 1666 next, unless we feel like we need a little 
book cleanser between, but uh, I'll see you next time. Yeah, I'll see all you guys next time on Goosebuds. Bye. Goodbye. This episode of Goosebuds is brought to you by our wonderful Patreon supporters, and this is the Book of Names. We begin with Stefan Jive Turkey Kuabara, Hollis Hornbeak, Cameron Murphy Audio, Michael McDowell, David Cron, Josh Robertson, Mickey C, Nathan Dolezal, Clayton C, Mike Lanteri, Buddy Morrill, Alecade, Mel Dipson, Jim Greaves, Zang Keith, Afshee. Danky, Mick Stanky. Aaron T. Strunk. Dango Twist. Brian Wells. Hey, Zentacles, I'm saying your name in the credits. That's pretty neat. <laughs> it is. It is neat. Stealth Bates. Joseph Miranda. Patrick Reynolds. Scott Colopy. Robert Moon. Jason Crooker. John Keaty. Low Belly Hate Me. Clay Castle. Miguel Pardo. Christina Doling. Third Sergio. Calf. Matthew Secret Societies. Sniggy. Reinfected. Maddie. Ishak Arafin. Gregory D. Warren. Alan Saylor. Sam Hash. Cody Redfield. Rich Hillborn. Bradford Coulter. Aiden Alexander Dice. Dapio. Jar Jar Slinks. Joshua Jacobwitz. Justin Wagman. Chosen One. Cardboard Walk. Leviathan. <laughs> Up and Champ. Jonas Engman. Alicia Grave. Trent Davis. Jonas Blatterman. Maloyster. Carl. Hey, Paul, pause for a second. I got to get something off my chest. I think I love broccoli. I like that self-monologue you just had there, Paul. The John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Elusive Koala. Yanni Markovina. Joe. Brooke X. Corey Shelley. Jesus Christ. Christian Vanskiver. Drew Applegate. J-Bug. Hello, Paul. J-Bug. J-Bug. J-Bug's very cute. Jeremy Lowe. Brian Hopgood. Paul Grasso. Trans Rights. Slumlord Onion. Taylor Deers. Joe, I'm not tired. I always look like this. Scott. I feel that. I feel that, Joe. Jordan Lockwood. Zach Connor. Patreon underscore donator comma yo. Joe Spooky Digital Ghost. Tierney. Trendy Moron. Tom Woodham. Toothless Barry the Whistler Bostowitz. Connor Church. Vincent Modica. Kevin Hamilton. Luke Canoodle. What? This is this is next level here. Andrew would like to try that recipe for Luke Canoodle's Jadzik. I love it. Someone is paying attention, Andrew. Lord Cornwallis. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Boland. Zambam Bino. Elizabeth Steenweg. Cardamom Birkambino. Murph EP. Tevin Ticklebean is your new best friend. <laughs> Welcome, Devin. Take a beat into my heart. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Devin and J-Bug. Two new loves. Goon Cahoots. Sness Chalmers. Sean Minogue. John the Howling Eye Duda. Nathan Remick. Wormtown Clan. Devaldi. Wiggle It. Luke LaFountain. John Pigeon Hat Barber. Reed Stubendeek. Paul, watch out. Snake is behind you. Watch out, Paul. Chip Handsome. Matt McClellan. Stinklitch. Joey Evans. Carewise Gamgee. Alex Moon, the robotic dog. Dylan McCann. Swaggy Yolo Squire. Cameron Hansen. Sarah Camp. Tanya Turtle. Chili Dish Gambino. Jack Frazee. Brett. 
generally depressing. Itonomore. Yeah. Ben Bohan. Adam, you goofed. Juan Jalapena. Muscles Bear. Dan. Chris Pittman is a bone wizard. Baz Gerritsen. Hey, Eric, it's going to be all right. You're doing a great job. Keith Halcrow. Dakota Campion. Chris Haunted Pajama Boner Nelson. Too real. Timothy Misadolakis. Clay McCarty. When Dragons Rule. Oh, my God, I love the song. <laughs> Thank you. Every time there's a new song for When Dragons Rule. Thank you, Dragons. <laughs> Thank you. Imagine, imagine dragons. Imagine that. Matthew Stevens. Noah August. Parker Lee. Jonas Enavoldson. Calamity Carl. Germ Juice. Hamboat. You other two guys can read this next name. I have to go jerk one out real quick. <laughs> Nick Johnson. Uh, Kevin Boucher. Yeah. Raymond Hernandez. Flemily. The Crowfens. Matthew Sutton. Patrick Murphy. Stephen Day. Jeffrey Owen Cawhee. Kelsey Kinneman. Ryan Carroll. Jeremy Bowser. Tori Catherine. Lee Wood. Russell Kastberg. Javier Jimenez. Brendan Arifin. Liam Neesonsdell. Chris Petricus. Scotty Pippen. Megan McCormick Mason. Streak. Meet Virginia. Ninja Breadman. Hood Lemon. Cody Tromler. Adam Muth. Dungeon Kappa. Got little old moi pretty freaked. Ryan Knight. MC Hamster. Zach Ware. Tamid Munir. Jimmy Soul. Alan G. Jessam. Peanutburg level 69. You're going to hit max level sometime, Peanutburg. I <laughs> Tobias Clark. Michael Kupka. Julian Lamendia. Brendan Neal. Andre Villanueva. Ida. Moon juice. You gotta meet germ juice. Uh, Kevin Cole. Hey! What? What? I, I, st- I still think it's possible that might be me. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's a great mystery. I, think I hope it we, is. I don't. I hope we never solve it. I don't want to ever solve it. I'm pretty sure that's me. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Welcome. Thank you, Kevin, for allowing us to, uh, I guess, all give Patreon like an extra 30 cents a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Kelly the Barbarian. David Emerson. F.W. Cody Selman. Aaron Lord. B. B. David Sandoval. Daniel Keith Heren. Latonzi. Courtney Green. Este Mena, Lord of Paul's Pants. The Davy Boy. Kenny M. Robert Allen Cook the third. Several upset horses. <laughs> oh God! I'm so, I thank you for supporting us. Is this like a sibling to to um, Sudacus? 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 The better Sudacus, I think. Sudacus. That one of them is supporting this show. The other one isn't. Paul. Doctor Diarrhea. <laughs> Mike Spaghetti Jones. Alec Foise. Ashley Northup. Kieran McNamara. Diet Soda. Quigley Jones. Skelefella. Redemption. Liss with an asterisk. What could it mean? What could it mean? We don't know. Watch out, Esther Shanks. <laughs> Jackie Ledoux's here. Coleman Laguza. Sad Star. Chris. Continue? <laughs> Levi Kidder. 69, Pauly Shore. 311. David Gray. Bryce Dieri. Matthew Bretado. I am Cornholio. I need TP for my bunghole. It's coming back, baby. Yakub. Carbson. Wagmar Wigmer. <laughs> nice. Good job. Dakota Kemp. 
<laughs> Welcome, Tarf. Rob T. Period. Rian DeBrugian. Luke Cumanzi Allen. Jake. Some of Chad's bird friends. Yay! Thank you, Samson. <laughs> Nicholas Maloney. The secret provider. And Zach Cohen. And we would like to welcome these new names to the Book of Names. You belong here forever. Midwest Indigo 13. Welcome, Kiwi O'Fleurve. Welcome, Bjorn Deer. Serial Killer X. Welcome. Welcome, Joey Reinish of LOLJK. Welcome, Eric Horwitz. Hail, Kyle Robinson. Well met, Tiffany Leah. Now announcing Jake Harker. <laughs> A wild Nelson Graham has appeared. <laughs> Thank you all so very, very much. We love you. And we hope you enjoyed our quiet talking of your names because my wife is working. <laughs> my wife. My wife. Your wife. <laughs> Today we're all wife, guys. Okay, goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Flypaper. The work of the people. Owned by the people. Supported by the people. Visit flypaper.fm.